Welcome everybody to the CBA's ABCs of bow hunting. And today we're here at the banquet, the CBA banquet here in the Hotel Elegante, as they say in the language of my people. And I'm sitting across the table from the legendary John Gardner. And then to my right, I've got co-host Jake and Henry. So, John, before you go much further, I did wear my boots when you hit legendary. I do have my boots on. <laughs> I think that's important. You know, it's funny how people know people who know people. And that's how I got your name. Um, we're always talking, at least, what, in the last month since we kicked around the idea of starting this podcast, is we need to get into our membership, into the, the guys in Colorado, because we got some killers. I mean, we have some We just had Rick Davis on. What an amazing individual, the, the story of, of what he's done. And we need to celebrate that, because that's our heritage. But somebody told me that you, this guy John Garner down in Durango, Colorado, He's working on his third big nine. And you've done that with a stick bow, huh? I have not done it all with a stick bow. Well, primarily. Primarily, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I want you to introduce yourself and yeah, tell us what you do. And then I, I just want to just give us some knowledge. Yeah, we'll pick your brain a little bit. So, came to college in Durango many moons ago. And it, somewhere along the line, I was in a... Uh, literally a, a ski shop and there's a CBA newsletter sitting on the counter of the ski shop one of the guys behind the counter an old timer he's a member and I'm like and I first I saw it because I had been bow hunting uh, grew up in Indiana bow hunting and oh gotcha came to Colorado and and he's like oh you got to be a member you got to you know and, and I knew nothing about it but <clears throat> immediately joined the CBA and a year or two later uh, became a life member I had did not have the hundred dollars had to borrow it <laughs> and this, this has to say this because Mick uh, Mick Davis had, he loaned me the other 50 because I only had 50 he's I'll loan it to you and I you know, we were at some function somewhere anyway became a life member way back in the day um, and uh, I'd like to say I'm a very loyal CBA member I my favorite saying is, t I have a taxidermy shop in Durango. I've been there for almost 40, over 40 years. Is that is that your full-time job? That's then? my full-time job. Your tax service? Yeah. That's awesome. So, That's awesome. Um, my, my saying to, because I have a lot of bow hunters from a lot of different states that come in, and I tell them, look, you're bow hunting in Colorado, and, and you're not a CBA member? Shame on you. So I sell a lot of memberships in my taxidermy shop. Because right. I, uh, my feeling is, if you... Bowhunt in Colorado, you should support the CBA, just like any of the other state organizations. If you get to, if you're privileged enough to hunt in these other states, spend a little money and 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 become members of those state organizations. But anyway, I'm a very proud CBA member for, jeez, probably going on 40 years. I think. I hate to say that, but it's true. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's very awesome. So you've been bow hunting for for forty plus years. And Started bow. I bought my first bow when I was about fourteen years old. Now that's not right. I I was given one that wasn't really a hunting bow, just a bow that you shot around the yard. Sure. Uh, a younger, I mean, like fourth grade, and then a, I think about eight eighth or ninth grade, I was in Montgomery Wards and they had a Ben Pearson bow on the shelf and I talked to my parents and let me buy it and that's awesome so that's when it started <laughs> and, a, and an addiction or hobby was born and I, we and don't I, need to discuss where the line's drawn between those yeah, two and, I, <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that's funny is I had no mentor as far as bow and my dad was a shotgun hunter but he didn't know a thing about bow and he's like you're gonna do what with that thing why and would you want to do that <laughs> exactly. yeah why would you want to make it harder exactly <laughs> I'm still blown away that Montgomery Wards sold bows. They had a contract with Ben Pearson and That's sold awesome. some bows. Wow. And uh, as a matter of fact, those are those are some of the harder ones to find now. So Jake's a little yeah, younger. I was than just, I was <laughs> Montgomery yeah. Wards was a large mass retailer. <laughs> kind of like Sears. Yeah. 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 Kind of like Sears. Well, fishing so, equipment so from Abercrombie so, and Fitch. So Sears was a large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It's, it's interesting to see how, how everybody gets their start. And it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, Rick Davis had a real similar story. Got started as a as a teenager, bought a bow, and it just kind of becomes a, a passion for you. So, did you start out hunting in the Midwest? Then started out hunting. It's 
my hunting started in South Texas as okay. a young kid. My my I had I had four uncles that were eight, ten, eleven, and twelve years older than I was. So I was born with four older brothers. That's right. And I had my father who married and had four younger brothers. So the five of us every weekend went and went hunting, and we did something hunting or That's fishing. That's cool. So. And one of my uncles is the one that gave me my first longbow, which was too big. I couldn't even pull it back. It, but I could pull a little bit. And, you know, I used to go buy arrows at Gibson's for 25 cents. I remember take, Gibson's. Take them to the ranch. Yeah. My allowance was 75 cents, and I would buy three arrows, and every week I'd break all three of them. That is probably <laughs> the best use of an allowance I've ever heard because yeah. that's, uh, that's kind of – similar story so so when you moved out here did you i mean did you get started bow hunting real quickly i mean so is that- i gotta tell you this i'm packing up to go to college i've got my car in the back of my trunk i put my shotgun i put my bow i put my skis and my dad's like are you going out there to go to college or are you going out there to play? <laughs> and he did not want I'm me to take to any of that. <laughs> he did not want me to take my bows, my skis, my anything. So anyway, um, moved out here and found out if you were a college student at that time, you could get a resident hunting license. Oh, wow. So I bought a deer license that year and I scared a lot of deer. <laughs> <laughs> now, you uh, hunting whitetail. Had you hunted whitetail before? So, in I mean, Indiana, when I was a kid, on my dad's little farm, there were no whitetails. Really? There were no white. I mean, if you saw one, you went to school and you were the big kid. I saw one, right? I saw, <laughs> I saw, I saw one. Right. And now they're infested with them. Right, right. So, so, so that's when I was a kid, the greatest there was no. conservation story yeah. ever told mm-hmm. or yeah. the opposite, depending on yeah. if they're... That's crazy. But coming out here, you're hunting mule deer i mean what was the difference of what you had grown up or or expected or assumed when you started hunting mule deer your you first said time? a word there that i think was improper you said you were hunting mule deer actually at the beginning years all i was doing was chasing because yeah. oh. i had i had gotcha. no i did not know what i was doing i okay. did not know and you had no doing. mentor I had no, I had really had no mentor at yeah, all. I find that very relatable. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a couple years later, I decided that I needed to get rid of that old Ben Pearson and buy a, a wheeled bow. And of all things, I, I, this poor cow, it was this, she had to be retarded, but she got in the way of my arrow. And next thing you know, I had actually shot an elk with a bow. And it was like, wow, did that just happen? You know? Right. <laughs> There's, there's that. It's a surreal moment when you feel, when you first experience that success after, especially after years of, it, it seems so like such a futile effort. I mean, so you guys are, you guys are too young to remember this, but, but back in the earlier days when we got a bow, they used to literally glue on a flipper rest. Oh, the flipper rest. The sticky ones. Yeah. The sticky. Well, that first morning that I was going to shoot this cow, well, it's pouring down rain and I didn't know you should stay home when it's raining so I, I went out there well the rain my flipper rest fell off oh wow have you ever shot your bow by using your finger as oh an arrow gosh. rest that the veins slice your finger like a razor blade oh man so and you, I shot it three times you literally bled for this elk <laughs> <laughs> that's that what is an amazing story that's awesome it really uh, is. I gotta add to it because it's such a funny story my parents were migrating through and they had stopped for the weekend and I was like mom tomorrow morning's opening day elk season I, I got it she goes oh just go out and come back for breakfast I'm like mom it's elk hunting it's mm-hmm. not indiana yeah she just just go out and come back for breakfast so i go out and i shoot this elk right the the elk and i hate to tell you this but i ran out of arrows and i had to finish it off with field point but anyway um it is what it is, <laughs> it it is, what it is. <laughs> so i go home and i call my buddy of mine that had a pickup truck and we go out there to get my elk and we're trying to load this we could get a truck to it we're trying to load this elk in this pickup truck and my mom is 120 pound mom she's going here let me help like a mom stay out of the way just stay back so the 
three of us are up there pulling on this elk to try to get in the truck while the back hip is just kind of laying you know hooked on the back of the tailgate she goes here i'll pick up this back leg can i help well she picked up the back leg just enough to get enough pressure off that it slid into the truck she goes see i loaded the elk (laughs) 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 and she tells that story to this day as she should and that was that was i was in 22 ish that's so, so cool. Yeah. So today, she still tells that story to people. I help as load his first elk in the truck. <laughs> so there you are, a college kid with a full elk. Are you in the dorm? I mean, wh- what do you do with so, 400 pounds of meat or whatever? So yeah. I, have, I had a friend that I had met that was an older gentleman that worked in a sporting goods store. And I went deer hunting with him, and he got a deer. And I knew how to cut him up a little bit from my family. So I said, oh, I'll help you. So I cut it out and put it in. So then he just let me use his garage and, and his freezer. But so then I was just giving meat away. because right, I didn't sure. Oh, yeah. So. <clears throat> right. Hey, there's no better way to make friends right. yeah. than to start giving meat away, too. But I mean, my, that's just a great way to do it. When I was in college, I was an essay at one of the dorms. And one time there was a knock on my door and said, you got to come. You got to come. They're butchering a bear in the men's shower <laughs> and I'm like what <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> one of the guys <laughs> it, it was a, I don't know what, what where everybody was at it was like a weekend or a weekend break or something but somebody oh no that was spring it was a, it was that spring mm-hmm. and one of the guys had gone out and shot a bear and he's like well he took it in the shower to rinse it off <laughs> makes sense <laughs> That's oh, so what funny. A, what if you did that now, you get thrown out of college so oh fast. Oh, my gosh. And you would be the poster child for PETA's hatred. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Yeah. I that don't know if that amazing. story should have been told either. That's funny. Oh, that's it's a, it's a different time. You know, it was yeah. a different time talking to Rick and him sharing some of his stories and the, the things like the first time he came out and, 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 and took off. You know, nope. He didn't even have a paper map. He had a compass. Right. And, it, it, you know, the difference of map. Exactly. And now, you know, we have heck you got you got Onyx on your phone, you know, and you don't even need to have cell service to be able to make it work. There's a lot of things that unfortunately technology helps jump you forward in some respects, but you miss some of the field craft to get there. Well, and it, it softens us up a little bit yeah. by by relying on outside influences rather than just relying on our woodsmanship and our own experience and our you know kind of our own cunning to to make it happen yeah before we uh turn the mics on here you're telling us how you do a bit of uh sheep guiding and mountain goat too Mm -hmm. so i'm curious how you went from no direct mentors and teaching yourself to to bow hunt to move in here to now being a guide in the mountains with one of the hardest animals to guide for and and track down could you maybe give us a walkthrough of how that as long as you don't get mad at me okay Uh, bring it on don't get mad speak for the listening audience right here i'm fine Back when I was younger than you, they gave a lot of goat tags out in my goat area. Uh-huh. Archery. Yeah, yeah. And nobody applied for them. Huh. So we used to get a goat tag. If we didn't get a goat, we didn't care. We'd get another tag the next year. Okay, I'm a little mad at you. See, that's what... <laughs> yeah. so we would just right. get a tag every year. I'm a little upset now. <laughs> so so I, I went up there. I went up there a bunch. And the very first year I had a tag, <clears throat> I had broke my elbow and a couple days before the hunt, and don't ever, don't ever, don't do this at home. I took the cast off myself. Have you ever tried to shoot a bow after your arm has been in a cast for weeks, no. and now you're just going to go shoot your bow? It doesn't work. Oh man! It was like the I missed so many times. It wasn't funny. And wow. the arrows, and we would go pick up arrows on the side of the hill. So I, at evening, we'd go in the tent, put our broadheads back together, put them back together, <laughs> yeah, try and, yeah. to get pieces and parts, but about that time there was an outfitter in town that i was kind of friends with and he calls me up and he says hey would you like to guide a mountain goat hunter and i said no no i don't think so he goes i'll pay you this much money i go i'll do it (laughs) (laughs) i changed my mind (laughs) and uh, that's what kind of got the whole thing started 
That's awesome. So I'm curious what that looks for you now, because now the guys who are hunting goat and sheep are very serious. They've been putting in for tags, presumably for a long time. And uh, when they are coming to you with this coveted opportunity, I wonder if there's some pressure there on you saying, man, this is this guy's probably once in a lifetime opportunity to get this done. Do you factor that in at all? Or just kind of have your system dialed and you say, you know, I need you to be a certain level of proficiency so that we can be successful. I'm, I'm curious how, as an outfitter, you approach your clients saying what their expectations are and their opportunities. You try to go and, through all that. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, if you feel as though someone's not up to it, you let them know they're do not up to Do you do only it. bow or do you let them no, do No, I do rifles? rifle hunting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, last year I, I, I had a gentleman that called me. He was an elderly gentleman from northern Colorado. And he had a really, really good sheep tag because his buddy said, apply for this unit. And you see why I'm not giving any numbers here, right? Right, you sure, don't totally <laughs> understand, yeah. yeah. It's, it's on Mount X and Mount Y. Right. Anyway. Up no tell them trail. No trail and trail. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I talked to this guy on the phone quite a bit, and he was a really nice gentleman. And I said, you know what? Why don't you come down here for a weekend, and let's just go look at the country just to see. Yeah. Because I did not want to tell him, you cannot do this. Right. So I took him, he came down, I picked him up, we got in the side by side, and I took him up there in the country and showed him around and drive him back. And this was actually, and I made him come down in time enough so he could give his tag back so somebody else could get it. So, and that's another story. Anyway, uh, driving back home, he goes, John, I don't think I, I can do that. And I said, I just wanted you to make that decision, not me. Yeah. yeah. So, well, that's a smart way to approach it. I think that a lot of people. M- Men are contrarians. I work in construction, so this is my daily life is no before yes. And telling somebody what you already know versus them discovering it on their own, the power difference in somebody coming to their own realization about their abilities and what they can and cannot do, um, it shows a sign of intelligence on your part. Not that I didn't expect you to be intelligent, but there's a psychology to Nobody all of this. Nobody said I was intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> you are up Don't in the mountains all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is interesting because all these guys have their emotions with them but too. With that, with what you said is correct, but I have to add something. Sometimes guys will look at the mountain and go, oh, I can't do that. And all you got to do is push them a little bit saying you can do That's this. That's a very good point. You know? And um, I'm assuming your ability to, to suss that out with the person who's sitting in front of you has gotten better over the years. And, you know, and that's what I always felt they hired me for. It was to keep them in the safe areas. I will not take somebody in a dangerous spot yeah. that I think they're going to get hurt. Yeah. We yeah. won't do that. Um, I had a, I had a, a client um, many 10 years ago that came down, a big guy. I mean, an ex-football player. Uh, I think he played at Brigham Young or something. He was a, like a tackle. And, and he basically had, he said, I can't do this. And I'm like, yes, you can. But it came down to, he was, he had fear of heights. Ah. And, and, I, and I did get him up there and he did get a shot, but he's like, okay, that's enough. And then he came back down. But um, he, I got him up there. I said, see, you can do this just one step at a time. Take your time. You can climb the mountain. So... I like the thought or the phrase, everything you want is just outside of your comfort zone. Um, because it helps me frame my world and my wants and needs because everything in my comfort zone is easy and it doesn't really push me very far. Whether it's moving away from home, picking up a compound bow, trying to learn a new skill, that level of stick to itness, that, that level of I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep showing up, I'm going to take that next step. And do it with a level of self-preservation in mind as well. That, that balance between I can do this and I'm going to do it safely uh, is always an interesting dichotomy in my brain. Um, I'm kind of curious about this third big nine, big eight. What big nine. nine. Yeah. Um, so, so let's go back. So building on, uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the first one because you're talking about <laughs> access to tags was, was just a lot there were less people vying for those tags yeah, back and then. then so. you know, and people are, you know, they, they can say what they want, but back then, I mean, we used to put in for one of these sheep tags that we got to tag every year. Holy Because it was archery and then nobody go. And so we'd yeah. tag every year and go. And goat tags, we got them every year. And so I, when I was just about to complete uh, my, my big eight, um, I, got a, I, I was one of the lucky ones to get one of the early, early moose tags. Okay. I mean, the really early moose tags. Right. Like second or 
second year, third year of moose hunting in really? Colorado. So That's I called Barry so Smith. Cool. Barry Smith was uh, CBA's record chairman for decades, and Barry and I are good friends. And I called Derry, Barry, and I just jokingly said, hey, you've got to come up with a big nine because I'm going to shoot a moose. And, he, and, <laughs> and I was joking, and he goes, Good idea, <laughs> and that's how it kind of got started. Wow. So I I was trying to be the first person to shoot the big nine. I wasn't uh, only because I got lazy and didn't go shoot a whitetail. And uh, another guy had shot a, literally had shot a whitetail a couple days before me, and so he was technically the first one to get it. Wow. I was the second, which I was happy with that. You know, that is so that's cool. really cool. Anyway, and then. I don't know when I ever started thinking, well, I ought to do it. I mean, I was about halfway through, and I went, crap. All I got to shoot is, you know, I wasn't even serious about shooting cow moose. Well, if I shoot a cow moose, I could have a second big nine. And so I did that. And then all of a sudden I started thinking, going, well, shoot. I just need a couple more. I can do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my that's my bucket list. So how, how close are, where do you stand on the... And this is it seems so weird for me to say this. Your third big nine. Close. Where, where do you sit on Close. that? Close. What do you lack? What's <laughs> what are you waiting to so draw? So I, I I really feel like I'm going to draw another cow moose tag this year. Wow. I did my study so and my research. You're literally a, a moose short. Actually, I need to shoot another sheep. Okay. But if it comes down to it, I could shoot a U. Yeah. I mean, I have another 15 points. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I probably won't do that. I'll probably just hold out. Just hold out and wait for that another ram, ram tag. Yeah. But I will tell you that I've had six ram tags. Oh. <laughs> 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 the look that Trevor just yeah, gave yeah, me. Stare of darkness. <laughs> Doesn't one of those rams qualify for your third? I mean, you no, got. No, I had tags. Nobody said I shot six tags. Oh, oh, six <laughs> tags. Okay. So, so what's your six uh, tags? Wow. So that was back when you. You get a tag and you get snowed out and go. Oh well, I'll go next year. Nah, no big deal. Yeah, go next year. I get another so tag. So obviously the equipment was a bit more primitive, and even when you were shooting compounds back then, the equipment was far more primitive oh. than what we have today. I mean, the advent I, of the laser rangefinder that can cut angles yeah, for you. Yeah, how was, many how many more sheep would you have as, as I, yeah, a result of that? Be, we'd know? have a lot more. Yeah, a lot more. I, I tell the story. My my wife, we were going on a caribou hunt in Alaska, and my wife says, "You're not going without me." I said, "Well, honey, this is a bow hunt." She says, I don't care. You're not going without me. And so we left the restaurant, and we went right to the bow shop and ordered her a bow. And three days later, she robbed hit an arrow. And I go, this is not fair. <laughs> right. I've been shooting a bow for 50 years. I've never done it. And your technology is so good. It is. And we it's set, very I good. Mean, and set the bow up. And, and here's, I mean, I hate to say it, but a total novice. And, um, and I just warned her five minutes before that. I go, honey, you need to start shooting separate. You're going you're gonna to injure some arrows here. She goes, what are you talking about? Thump, Robin Hood. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. I'll bet she rarely mentions that. No. <laughs> Actually, she, it, did, it did not mean that much to her because she didn't know what a feature. She didn't she, have anything, a she, reference. She didn't have yeah. a reference. Yeah. Didn't know how yeah. unattainable and that I, was. You know, in all the archery that. shooting and stuff, I think I've only seen three of them, actually been around that three of them have been yeah. done and target shooting and stuff. And, but she has, she was like, oh, okay. So... What's I your gotta cr- brag on her. She's got that's she's got cool. three Pope and young animals now. Oh, that's man. awesome. <laughs> What's your current bow setup? So I I shoot uh, recurve bows. I've been shooting a recurve now for. I went back to a recurve. Let's put it that way. I don't. I wish I would have known the year, but I, I I went to Texas one year. We and we rattled in seventeen bucks in like a long week. And they, they would come in, and they're gone in a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And I told my buddy, I, I said, I'm coming back next year with a recurve. Because you can get that shot off a little quicker. I thought yeah. I could get that shot you off thought, a little yeah. quicker. <laughs> yeah. Ideally. So, uh, I went home, and Keith Chastain at Wapiti Bows, mm-hmm. I called him up. Of course, I know everything. There's snow, right? You know? <laughs> and I, I didn't listen to Keith. I should have. I apologized, Keith. And I ordered it. I had him make me a 65-pound bow. I'm not strong enough for a 65 pound bow but I didn't know that because my compound bow was a 70 pound bow see what I'm saying yeah it it just makes sense yeah anyway (laughs) of course I you know but I will tell you I shot a lot of animals with that bow but but somewhere along the line somebody bought me another bow Uh a better bow 
according to all the authorities. And I couldn't shoot it for crap. I really couldn't. And one day, it was archery season, and we had bought a new mule. And we said, oh, let's take this new mule for a ride. I go, let's ride up to my buddy's camp, and everybody will be out elk hunting. And let's put pine cones in everybody's sleep bags while they're out hunting. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> a good friend. <laughs> so we, because we're just training this mule. It was opening oh, well, weekend. It was 75 degrees. There was no elk bugling. We drive up there thinking there's nobody in camp, right? Out from the cook tent comes walking the sky. I'm like. He's just one of the, hunt, the paid hunters. And he comes walking out of the tent, and I, hi, hi, and he immediately sees that we have recurve bows hanging over the saddle horns. Oh, you guys, you guys are recurve shooters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, well, I'm a bowyer. So, I, really, well, you know, you put a bowyer and some bow hunters together. It takes about five minutes before somebody goes, let's shoot. <laughs> there you so, go. we go over, they had a milk jug on, a milk carton over on the side of the hill, and he wanted me to shoot his bow. And I went, blip 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 and i looked at him and i said i want to buy this bow he goes that's my personal bow i go you're a bowyer make, make another, another one, one. <laughs> <laughs> and make a, he's like awesome. no that's my bow so he goes he goes i'll tell you what he goes if, if i don't do any good here with these guys maybe i could get you to take me out for a couple more days because i'm at some time afterwards and if you take me out maybe i'll give you this bow well true to his word he came and I have to tell the story. He came, and we took him into one of our favorite honey holes. Now, this was a gentleman from South Texas that now he's going out with a couple of mountain boys, and we're taking him into our favorite honey hole that's the hell, the hell hole. Right. And we go down in there, and we made arrangements for my dad to pick us up in the evening, whatever. My dad needed my truck or something. So we finally get him out of there about midnight, and the poor guy is dying. And my dad's like, are you nuts? You don't follow these guys down in there. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but he gave me the bow, and I've shot that bow for about 30-some-odd years. What? Are Still. you kidding me? And uh, I, I actually, I'm going to pick it up here. Uh, I had Joe Bradley that's given this next mm -hmm. seminar. I had him refinish it for me. Oh, no. And, uh, okay. Because it was... It had been on goat hunts and sheep hunts, and it was pretty dinged up. a little and, rough, yeah, And I was sure. like, Joe, you know what? Let's redo it. Because I was kind of retiring because I have a couple stalker bows from South Cox, mm -hmm. and I shoot, I shoot those pretty well. I, matter of fact, I shot a really nice buck in Kansas with, with mine this year. But to go elk hunting or sheep or goat hunting, I, that's my old favorite bow, and I, I, direct, you know, I still shoot it. It's kind of funny how you find something that – you find equipment that just works for you. And, I, I mean – I'm a I'm a total creature habit like that too. I mean, uh, first I've got a sight that I've got on my bow that's 20 years old. I mean, sure, there's a lot better models out there now, but I know that when I trust it, I understand exactly. it. And it, when you find that equipment that just works for you, that you just kind of meld with it, stick with it and ride ride right. that success because that it gives you confidence and confidence is deadly. I mean, that's. I, th I also think that it, it goes without saying people complain about the price of boots or a backpack or a pair of binoculars or a bow. The difference is when you find something that works well for you, the quality's there if you spend the money. And then you'll have it for 20, 30 years like you've had this bow. Now you take it and get it refinished. But I've got, I've got equipment that, yeah, I've had to... Ha send my kafaru back in my backpack back in but that sucker is dialed for me and yeah. and like you say your sight you know worked. it might yeah. be dinged up so but there's just there's some trust there um i think one thing that and i know uh, henry deals with this too you, the new bow model comes out and and hoyt sends me the new bow model and i just feel like i'm just getting to know that old one <laughs> So it takes me a lot of reps it does. to get that confidence and, level. And luckily, I like to shoot, so it, it is. But, yeah, it's crazy. So, Well, I, I have to back up. I, I, bought, I bought one of South's bows just because they're so stinking beautiful. Oh, they are. He is you a know? woodworker like but no other. I, I, I can't bring it myself to take it goat or sheep hunting because <laughs> I know what's going to happen. Right. It's a piece yeah. of art. It's going to fall off the dang hill, and it's going to look like my old one did. Right. Yeah. But to take it to Kansas, 
to go sit in a stand, I'm good with that. I can, a more I can baby it. What they say, you know, you get, you get the car that you, you, you go out on the evening with and then you got your daily driver. Right there. Right? That's and that's right. kind of exactly where what it goes. Is. Yeah. The thing that's exactly. interesting is that I do find with the younger generation, people my age and younger, it is a barrier to entry. If you don't know you sure want to be. be in archery or in hunting, to spend two grand on right. a bow is insane. And even to go to pick Cabela's and spend three or four 400 is a little steep you know most people don't spend that on a whim i was at but those two and three hundred dollar package bows that you can buy at cabela's are 10 times better yeah. than what we started with 30 exactly years ago. preach i <laughs> mean it's like wow well i was wow. just at cheyenne mountain oh, archery range and a cpw guy came up and he was checking people's stickers and he was asking me about archery equipment he goes i actually don't even shoot i just check the archery range every day is it worth it and i said man it's a steep investment if you want to get the top of the line but to get a two or three hundred dollar bow if it's not going to kill you you can hunt animals with it you can get a few seasons with it and if you really love it then you'll make a decision to upgrade but just to get your foot in the door i think it's a nice way to do it and these days the recurves you can get a decent one for 150 200 bucks i mean it's not the best thing in the world but to get someone on the range you're seeing a lot of guys go back and buy some of these great 1970s bear bows, 1970 Ben Pearson bows, and hunting with them. Yeah, they still shoot great. Right. Yeah, a lot of them do. I have a small collection, and I keep telling myself I'm going to drag them out and go hunting with them. You know, I had a just friend who just sold two of them uh, at Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear a couple of years ago. They were something that they found cleaning out his dad's estate. And I said, you might be pleasantly surprised at what those bows are worth, and because they were mint. Uh. I mean, two mint bare recurves one of them was like a 68 and the other one's a 70 but i mean it was vintage stuff that was uh. still in phenomenal shape so and they sold them oh you bet they did <laughs> john being that you've been shooting recurve for so long i'm curious do you use a range finder are you all instinctive when you're out in the field do you bring one with so, you um you know it's funny that you asked that about a few years ago a good friend of mine the past president of pope and young jim willems we were just sitting there talking. He goes, I carry a rangefinder. I'm like, what? It just shocked me. Mm-hmm. And then I, he goes, why not? Right. And then I went, why not? <laughs> so so I, what I do is I, I find myself at home when, in our practice targets. We have a small range. And, and I'm always ranging just to see where they're at. And then I can make that comparison shot. Yeah. So I do sometimes have one with me but to say i use it all the time i use it more in a tree stand to say okay how far is that tree or how far is that bush or how far is that you know rock and then keep that a middle note you know yeah I, I found as i was trying to learn gauging distances what i would do is walk through the woods guess and then pull out the range great, finder great great, great, great exercise, my eye. Great exercise. Mm-hmm. and sometimes I have my wife do that all i call i'm always quizzing her how far is that then it's smart and also like uh the distance between you and a tree and the distance between you and a rock it could both be 20 yards but the perception's a little different because exactly. the size the of what size you're looking at you bet um, I always found that interesting. And it would be nice to just, it's, it's very satisfying when you're like, that's 67 yards. And you pop it up, 67 yards. Hell yeah, yeah. that's great. But on a 3D course, you find the same type of thing where you have a chipmunk or some really small, ridiculously small target. And the next one's an elk. And when you're comparing the size difference, you're like, okay, that's 18 yards. Okay, that looks 30 yards, but that's 50 yards because it's such a huge target. Yep. Perception so, yeah, is, it takes, is so it takes, vastly it different. It takes some yeah. practice to get to, to, to know that. And, and I think it's how many times every one of us probably has a story of, man, I didn't have time to range, so I had to guess. Yep. And the end of that story is either good or it's bad, <laughs> right? My first deer I ever shot, I, I, had, a, I had one of the old brick oh my. Bushnell uh-huh. range finders. Which, you know, it made up for being really, really heavy and awkward by working half the time. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it would not give me a reading on that on that deer. And I, I sat there, and fortunately, I'd shot a lot of 3Ds. I'm like, not quite 45, little over 40, 42 and a half it is, and killed the deer. Right. And, I mean, had I not had that skill right. to draw to fall back on... I would have either been just shooting an arrow with hope attached to it or passing a shot. Yeah. 
As a recurve shooter, do you use point point on at, at certain distances? Do you use, or is it all instinctive? I, I consider myself an instinctive okay. shooter. I don't do point on or use a reference. It's just okay. But I don't also don't take long shots. I mean, very very seldom. Yeah, I have taken some long shots. Tell us what what's a long shot for you on a on a, a deer or on a mule deer? Or I, I try not to shoot over thirty five yards. Okay. okay, great. You know, great. The deer I shot last year was more like twelve yards. Okay. And that was almost too far. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's times the so, situation dictates that, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I shot I shot on my doll sheep at about 45 yards running. Would have never been done with a compound. I shot a caribou at about 50 yards running. That would have never been done with a compound. Yeah. And I just followed through and was like, oh, okay, that worked. Hmm. So maybe tell us, uh, if, if you don't mind, maybe give us one of your favorite hunting stories and maybe a lesson that you learned as a result of that Ooh. hunt. Wow. You should always learn from the ones that got away. And I've had oh. a lot of them get away. <laughs> Nobody said I was a good shot. <laughs> You're so, just out there a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, why don't you ask me about an animal? That'd be give me a give me a clue here. Well, I'll, I'll tell about, you what. How about how about my first goat? Yeah, there, there, you, there go. you go. How about awesome. my first goat? So mountain goat. Mountain goat. Was it a spike? It was a spike. <laughs> it, was, it was actually a, eleven pointer. There you, you go. Know, I like one. it. <laughs> one and one. Um, so the kind of the I was up in this valley that. Well, no. Let me back up. The week before, I was in a different valley. Nathan Anderson was in the valley. And this is funny because he doesn't remember this, but I had pictures. <laughs> Nathan was up there. Uh, this guide outfitter had just dropped him off, and we were literally camped next to each other. And Did Nathan, you know him before this? I, I think I had met him at a CBA function, but okay. I didn't know him. Okay. He's like, you know, because we had met again. And at the time, he had kind of a bum knee, so he couldn't actually leave the valley very far. Because he was, he said, I'm going, and with a bum knee or not, I'm still going. And so he was going to hunt out these goats that were kind of in the valley, and there weren't any. Anyway, so um, we weren't seeing anything, and I had taken a friend of mine that wanted to go climb some mountains. So we weren't seeing anything, so I said, I'll go climb a mountain. So I went and climbed a mountain. We got on top, and there's always a register on top. And this is a little note to all you hunters out there. If you get to the top of the mountain and you're not finding any animals, read the register. Read the register because huh. somebody's going to write like something it. in there. So I open it up and I'm reading it. And, and the day before, it said, I see goats, nicks to hunters. So I sit there going, <laughs> where did Wait they see those goats? <laughs> you know, where did they see those goats? And I'm like, well, they didn't see them our direction. They had to see them this way. And I looked and looked and I went, oh, there they are over there. And they're in a totally different valley. That meant going out and coming back. So... Um, Went out, came back around, and now I'm in this other valley, and I'm by myself, and I'm in an old North Face tent that had two windows on both sides, and I had a mountain on one side and a mountain on the other, and during the rainstorm, I'd go get in the tent and rope the zippers down, because there was a billy on that mountain and a billy on this mountain, and those two billies hated each other, and at night, they would come down and, and run around and fight in the valley floor, no. and I, I would listen to this. I mean, they're running around. This and is some Marty Stauffer stuff here. Wow. But it's so in cool. the dark. It's in the dark. You <laughs> yeah. know, I can just guess what's going on. Oh, wow. So, anyway. So, each day, I had two billies to go after. If I'd blow a stock on this one, I'd just go after that one. You know, back and forth. Every day, every day, every day. And finally, that one, the one to my north got in a, in a situation where I thought, oh, I can sneak up this crack over here. And I went up this crack I probably shouldn't have. Because it was a little bit on the dangerous side and came above him. And probably a little further further away than I should have shot. <clears throat> I was shooting uh, an old Golden Eagle compound. Do you remember those? Mm. And I had spray painted it white. With the cool recurved limbs? Yes, with yes, the cool recurved limbs. Go. I wow. do remember those. It was heavy as heck. Wow. Yes, they were. So anyway, <laughs> anyway I'm going to shoot at this goat. Well, right as I get to shoot... He turns his neck to look back up at me, and had he not turned back to look up at me, I would have missed him because I hit him right behind the right behind the chin. Wow! Did he drop instantly? No, oh. he went off the. He ran down the mountain, and then he went to the right, and he couldn't get off. So then I ran down, and he came back in front of me. 
Well, the, when he came back in front of me, I shot again as he was running pretty good, and I hit him in the rump. So then he went down in the cliffs. Well, I had to go back down on the valley floor and climb the back side to look back Holy across cow. to see where he's at, which takes over an hour to get up there. I can't find him. And my heart is just sunk. I'm gone. Crap. Where is he at? He's gone. And I watched, and I'm like, he couldn't have got away. And he had backed into a crack in the shadows. And he he'd leaned forward just enough for his nose to stick out of the shadow. And I went, I see you. So then I climbed back over there, went above him, came down. Well, when I dropped down in front of him, I literally dropped below him because I didn't know where I was at. Now it's he and I in a crevasse at about 20 yards. And I shoot, make a really pretty good shot. And now I'm thinking... He's going to run right over me to come out of there. Well, he turned and tried to run back up. There was nowhere to go. And I shot him again, and then he fell. So then I'm up on these cliffs, and I go to skin him out, and I reach in my pocket, and my knife is gone. And I'm like, can you believe this? So then you start thinking. Your mind's racing away. Oh, yeah. And you remember the Razorback Fives? Do you remember those? <laughs> I decided I was going to take one of those and bust the blades off of it and try to use those razor blades. From your broadhead. From my broadhead to Fucking cut it open. Awesome. <laughs> and it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> There's just nothing to hang on to. And I was like, this is going to cut me. Well, then I remembered earlier the day before I had found, remember the old orange game XX, the original XX75s that were orange. Mm-hmm. Autumn found, orange, baby. You I bet. Fa- Autumn <laughs> orange. I had found a shaft that was about 10 inches long with a bare broad head on it that somebody shot at a goat or whatever, and it was laying mm-hmm. it was laying in, in the rocks. And I remember I picked it up, and I put it on this rock because I said, I'm going to take this out when I go. So I go, oh, I'll go get that. I'll sharpen that baby up on a rock and <laughs> cut it up with that. I did. Life size. That is so cool. Life size. Life you skin for a life size mallet so with that. This gets better. Oh my god! How? So I, I skin it. I skin it down the back to dorsal cut for a life size with this bare rodhead, which I have to this day. Which, which you have let's to explain. Keep that. Let's explain to the to listeners what that looks like. So that's a big cut on contact cut two blade. Two, two blade. blade. It had the old Solid. insert. Did it have the bleeder head? No, the, the bleeder, bleeder was blades? gone. Okay. It was gone. Okay. That was probably better. But, but for you're you. probably talking. What's how wide is that at the base? They were in, probably an inch and an eighth, inch and okay. a quarter, and, and they were three inches long. So, so you had a pretty good cutting edge. Yes. Now you got to remember. I don't know how many years I had laid out there in the in this. In the so you're, you're walking around trying to find the right rock. No, I, there was a rock right there, and I just started sharpening on this rock. <laughs> and you got it pretty sharp. I got it sharp enough. John, wow. I got to tell you, this is one of the coolest bowling stories I've ever yeah, heard in my life. And I've been around archery shops my whole life. So this, I can make this story hours longer, but I'm going to try to shorten it down. So I, I cut it down, and I have to throw the hide off the cliff. And I go, throw it off his... Well, it goes out like kind of like a tarp, and it just floats down to the valley floor. And then the head, I'm not going to throw the head, right? But now the quarters, throw them off. Throw the quarters <laughs> off. They go rolling down there. Put the head in my little day pack backpack that I have and strap on my – and my, I had it made a strap for my Golden Eagle to strap on there. And I'm all, everything's spray-painted white because the week before it had snow. Anyway, I go down. I collect the meat got my head i take it to camp at camp i had camp purposely camped next to this little snow field so that if i wanted to keep some stuff cool in there so i laid the hide out with the hair up on top of the snow in the middle of it so it would keep cool right and all the meat i buried the meat in there to keep it cool so the next morning i get up now i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna go to town and take just the cape and the meat to town, as much meat as I can carry. And then come back and get the rest of the stuff in my camp and everything else. So get up the next morning and I was gonna cut some more excess meat off the hide and I go and pick it up and I'm going, what in the world? This thing is soaking wet and it stinks like the dickens. I look around and there's goat tracks <gasps> all in the snow. That other Billy, the other Billy came down and peed on it. Peed all <laughs> over <laughs> it. Way. I mean, it was wreck. <laughs> wow. <It> was <laughs> How cool! 
is that? That is cool. Talk about dominance. He peed all over. And he was a smaller one, I think. I mean, I can't prove that, but he was a smaller one. And you're by yourself the whole time on I'm this. I'm by myself. So you're doing oh thousands of feet of elevation, gains miles of moving. Mm. And this is just telling me, like, determination. You just didn't have a choice, and you wanted to do this. You you remembered where that other broadhead was. You're like, oh, I'm going to just look for him till <laughs> I find him. so cool. Oh, and man. here's, I have to add this. I had no money. Yeah. I was broke. Yeah. I'm literally up there in Levi's and a wool shirt, a borrowed raincoat, a borrowed tent, a borrowed backpack, and the shoes that shouldn't have been up there. Yeah. Um, I, I have lost both my big toenails from mountain goat hunting, from having bad shoes going yeah. downhill, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And my Just wife's going, you had to pay for that, you know? <laughs> but... Yeah, wow. I, I, I mean, literally, I mean, when I started out, I didn't have, I didn't have two pennies to rub together to go do all this stuff. And it was just like you said, it was just like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do this. Well, that's I, the thing. So. I remember when I was younger and I, I, I got started out and we, I, had, I had bought six new arrows for hunting. I had six brand new arrows and we just fletched them up. They were beautiful. Two days before the hunt, I Robin Hooded one of those stinking arrows. <laughs> so now you're down to four. <laughs> oh heck, no! I was down to five. I yanked that sucker right out. Oh, I didn't have any choice. I'm like, man, I'm not going hunting with four arrows. So, yeah, and I mean, you talk about it. I mean, now I'm like, ah, no big deal. I'll just get another dozen arrows. But you know, it's not always like that. No. And, hey, we all start out somewhere, and I mean, it's it's usually those stories of struggle that lead to stories of success and. John, I'm not kidding. That is that is legitimately my favorite hunting story. So I go I to town. They're making some banquet announcements. Hey, thanks, Evan. Yeah. There's another banquet starting. I take <laughs> I take the goat to town. I talk a buddy of mine to go and back up to help me get the rest of the stuff out because he wanted to see where I did it. So because he wanted to get a goat tag and come back. Packing up my tent. Underneath the tent, there's my knife. <laughs> no and I still have that knife. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get these Some, pictures from you. Somehow oh, that man, knife and fell on the ground, and I put the tin on top of it. Oh. And it was—you probably thought it was a rock under your sleeping pad I don't the know, whole time. Yeah. <laughs> man, that is so awesome. That's and just great. Part of this podcast is to give some information to people who maybe haven't done it yet or are interested in getting involved with it. And the one thing I'd say is it's really easy to spend five thousand dollars on equipment before you ever even step foot in a hunting territory or have a tag in your pocket but, but you don't have to it is absolutely not necessary you don't have to i mean there's there's no law that says you can't go and do this stuff that we used to do just with stuff that you find around your house yeah. i mean it you don't have take ten thousand dollars i would tell you to, some of the new equipment is awesome though it, is, <laughs> well, it, it does it, it can make it it doesn't necessarily make it easier but it sure makes your experience a whole lot more pleasant a lot more comfortable yep we even have the food even the food we were eating you probably don't know what top ramen is we used to buy top ramen oh, yeah. for 10 cents yeah mm-hmm. and that's what i ate the entire time i was right. up there you know what that stuff still costs today 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> so we did a, and I just opened the CBA magazine for the May, uh, May, June issue. And this is when you're poor, you got to be tough. This is the tough Kafaru gear breakdown we did. And the, we were talking about this same thing. When you're poor, you just got to be a little tougher. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can still do it, but you know, you got to be willing to sacrifice some of the comforts and big toe nails or whatever it might be but you can still do it. it you know there are technology as you talk about even a lower end bow now compared to what you started out which was the high end bow is the technology is so much further light advanced. years ahead light years yeah. there's actually a back wall now i started out shooting yeah. a, a bow with that it was a more of an energy wheel than a cam it was mm-hmm. it was round but it was drilled off center so it just gave you kind of that that rollover to give you the, a little bit of let off and store a little bit of energy but my gosh there was no such thing as a back wall yeah. on that that might have been a 28 inch draw length but you could get 30 out of it if you right. really wanted <laughs> right <laughs> so it's crazy i i just think uh, what do you think are the main differences in a guy that's uh besides distances in, in a guy that's going to be shooting a modern compound versus a a, a traditional bow is there a different mindset? Is it a different way you 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 hunt? Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I mean, let's face facts. It's harder to use traditional equipment. Mm-hmm. It is, um, no doubt. 
and, and it's a choice that everybody has to make. And I am not. There, there are some of my my brother traditional bow hunters that are so opposed to compound bow hunters, and I'm I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I go on the archery range, I have no problem going and shooting with shooting against the guys with the compounds. I know I can't outshoot them. I know mm-hmm. I can't. It doesn't bother me. I'm still going to go enjoy their company and have fun and. You know, I'm not opposed to it. And a friend of mine brought something up. He goes, he goes, the reason is, John, is because you shot compounds for a few years. And it's like, yeah, he's true. That's true. But at some point I went, okay, <clears throat> I want to use a traditional bow. I enjoy it a lot. I do, really do enjoy it a lot. I'm not opposed to shooting a compound. I, do not, I don't own one. Every once in a while I'll shoot my wife's just for fun but yeah it's not very often she won't let me she's just mine don't like don't shoot that yeah, no kidding yeah but uh <laughs> i'm not i mean you know so it, it's it's a little it's it, it's tougher it's it is it is but for me the main thing that i used to hunt was elk mm-hmm. and in my opinion in the days that i was doing it it was pretty e- now it's gotten it's gotten harder because there's more people out there doing it but when i started it was not i mean it goes calling a couple bulls a day no big deal raghorns wow raghorns yeah you know and that's like it would be like oh that one's dead oh that one's dead what would you say the the biggest difference is and i'm glad to have you on here to ask this because what would you say the biggest difference is in animal behavior let's single out elk from 40 years ago to now what what differences do you see there's more people in the woods of course yeah there's a lot more people you know and it um, now I'm going to tell you some things that, have, that I think that have helped, but everybody and their brothers out there tooting on a whistle, <clears throat> you know. And back in the early days, there was only a couple of us that really knew how to do it. It wasn't yeah. as easy as it is now. You can go pick up a bugle at the store and make it make it happen. You had to practice it. You really had to practice to get a bugle to sound like something, you know. And our early bugles were literally tin reeds that did not sound that good. Right. But. Um, now it's pretty easy for somebody to buy a, a bugle and go home, and in two or three days, they're pretty good at it. Pretty competent. Yeah. yeah. I, I never have gained that skill. I'm still really? terrible at calling elk. I, I, it, it's, I'm not a, a so, talk to the animal kind of guy. That's why I hunt mule deer. I drew, a, <laughs> I drew a 201 tag uh, 20 years ago. I was dating okay. my wife. And I said, Come on, honey, we're going to go elk hunting. And you're going to be my caller. Yeah. She goes, I can't call. What? I go, well, <laughs> we're going to teach you. You know, she used to play a wood, woodwind instrument. So I said, we She's can. halfway there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so on a sunny, hot at noon, I go, okay, we're going to practice right here. I give her a read. And I just started kind of practicing cow calling. And I went, don't move. Oh, now, my gosh. She's got shorts on and a white T-shirt. I'm in shorts with a black t-shirt and flip-flops <laughs> we're just gonna go check these look at some ponds yeah, yeah and i said keep doing that and i dropped the lower about 20 yards well here comes a 350 plus bull oh my no. turning his heads like this <laughs> no. through the trees coming right at us and i'm going oh and this is the first time she's ever put so a read in her have, mouth do you have your bow with you at this point i did have my bow but i'm in flip-flops <laughs> Do you think the elk's gonna care? <laughs> no. <laughs> but anyway, it was a it was a uh, a chest on shot, and she's like, yeah. "Why didn't you shoot?" I said, "Honey, I don't shoot head on shots." And he didn't give me tiny. But then the next day, we did the same scenario, but I had her up the hill a little bit further from me, uh-huh. and the bull went right around me and went right to her. You should have seen her eyes. They looked like saucers. They were so big. This bull is literally standing on the other side of this pine tree from her, screaming. And, and of course, she's just shaking because I mean it's six feet away from her. She's just like oh, yeah. it's gonna walk on me, you know. And and she this was her second morning, and she called it right around, right to it. Because I'm fifty yards below, way out of range. And, oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> so, but I think you're right. I do think the learning curve has been accelerated with compound bows. You can get pretty proficient pretty quickly. I just learned how to call elk last year. Last year was my first time uh, elk hunting ever. And that first moment that I got an elk to respond, you just have that feeling inside of you like this 
energy that shoots through rush. you. Oh it my gosh. It is an gosh. absolute rush. Yeah. Um, but I find, so I do a lot of spear fishing. I tend to bring it up every podcast, but I um, realize there's a lot of parallels and the, the hunters I study in archery and in spear fishing all tend to have an arc to their journeys, which is let me learn about this. Let me make it as easy as possible for myself. And then let me start to actually add some challenge back in here, whether it's via the equipment, via the the place I'm accessing. So like a parallel in spear fishing to a traditional bow would be a pole spear. And then a compound bow would be like a normal uh, uh, um real gun and uh the idea is you have to get that much closer you have to be that much more stealthy you have to understand animal ecology that much better because if i need to be inside 60 yards and you need to be inside 30 yards that's a huge difference on most animals oh yeah that's a fact so my my third big nine would have been done a long long time ago had i been using a compound bow sure (laughs) oh sure sure that's okay i'm 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 good with that so what would what would you think is the biggest is if you could put your finger on one advancement in the in those years that you've been hunting that's led to increased bow hunter success what would you think that is rangefinder rangefinder that's exactly what i figured you'd say and when when the first rangefinder came out you had to and dial it and try so to get I, the I images had, yeah, to line I, up. I had one of those. It was terrible. <laughs> but when they finally got a, a, a digital, I mean, a, yeah, a laser. The true laser range There finder, was a yeah. gentleman, a young man that came in my shop that was not a very proficient hunter at all. And he shoots this 200-inch buck. I hate him already. At 80 <laughs> yards with a range finder. And I'm like, Really? This was like the first rangefinder, the good one that I'd seen. So like early 2000s, late 90s, early yeah, 2000s. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere thereabouts. There. Yeah. yeah, it was the, the Leica. Remember the Leica mm-hmm. rangefinder, the mm-hmm. digital one? That I couldn't afford that. Yeah. I was yeah, a Bushnell was guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, this was yeah. way before Bushnell ever came out. Oh, this really? This was years okay. before okay. that. Anyway, wow. and I thought, in my, in my mind, and I'm please nobody take offense, but at that time, I thought that thing should be illegal. Yeah. That was my feeling. Because it right. just made it really easy. I'll tell you, it, it had sure changed. Now, the interesting thing is, if you look at the success rates, the historic success rates, that hasn't helped them as much as we would think, think it would yeah. have. Good to and, hear. And it's, uh, the interesting thing is, in, in, in my opinion, it's, it's you know, you still have those same guys who you kind of either get it or you don't, you know, and those who get it are going to find a way. Mm-hmm. regardless of yeah. what limitations are put on them yeah they're the 10 percenters the, you know the that's ones that's exactly the ones that, yeah. you know they kill 90 percent of of the yeah. game because they're they're consistent and 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 part of that we were talking with rick davis too is just the time they put in there's some there's a correlation of the amount of time you spend hunting mm-hmm. you you just the guys that can take off two weeks or the full season whatever and 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 have the stick to itiveness not to go back to town or or quit they're the ones that are successful i mean there's You're the right. practice all no, of that is important but it, it really, really does, does boil down, down to time a lot yeah. of it's time yeah. yeah and unfortunately as we get older we get more responsibilities and, it, and our time is limited yeah. uh, you know i've been very blessed um to be able to be, live in the where i live and have all the opportunities that I have mm-hmm. as far as the hunting opportunities because we have everything right there. Right. We you sure know? do, yeah. We, we have everything right there. And uh, I've been very blessed in that. And then and my business has been such that, you know, I can take time off and nobody screams and yells too much. Right. But, I, you know, you don't get rich when you're bow hunting. I'm telling no. you. And people now, see, see that's, that. Uh, now, yeah. there, there's definitely that is a trade-off on it. And, I mean, hey, I'm self-employed myself. And, I mean, I go through that same thing. I mean, where I, yes, I can take it off. But... Whoopsie! Um, <laughs> while I'm taking time off, things aren't They're not always getting, getting done. done, you know. And I, I will say this: um, whoever decided to shoot a cell signal over to my favorite hunting spot has sure saved my butt the last few <laughs> yeah. years because I've I've still been able to be pretty productive out there and responding to emails and stuff. But that also kind of takes away from some of your hunt experience too sure. I mean, it does there's something to be said and i'm kind of in the same boat henry in the fact that you know i i as long as i'm connected to something i can do a lot 
but it still causes me to need to hike up to that ridge and and pull yep. out my you know phone or because I can do so much on my phone now versus just being completely engrossed in that in that situation and I've even tried to get to a point to where okay I know I don't have cell phone service on this sig- on this hunt no signal at all so you know I'll have an in reach in case I need to some help or let my wife know i'm fine but i'm not checking emails i'm not and there's something to be said for that time away and the peace of mind that comes through that adventure fully fully engrossed but i have finding that balance i have so hard literally told people that yeah well uh let me get when i get back in the office this afternoon i'll i'll, I'll get you these numbers right and my office is just going to be back to my tent so i can pull the file up on my laptop that i packed in off my battery pack and and then i'm gonna hook my cell phone up to my laptop to email them see that's, know, a, that's a totally acceptable lie in my opinion because i've told it myself many many <laughs> many times yeah, mobile, mobile yeah. Office, mobile one office. thing yeah. that's that i think that's helped me a lot is and you talked about your connect connecting with your wife is years ago my sister's on an airplane on sharper image or something she goes and she read about a spot tracking device right be, when they were not even out on the market right. yet she bought me one and i had this thing and i'm like i don't know what it is i threw it in the closet and about two years later my buddy goes hey have you seen this this is a cool deal and da, da, da. i go oh there's one in my closet you know pull it out but it's been so great because I can be wherever I'm at. I can send a message to my wife going, honey, I'm back in camp. You know where I'm at. Everything's fine. And we've done it literally all over the world. I mean, That's I've, awesome. I've taken it to Alaska. I've taken it to Central America. taken it to Africa. And I can, a lot of times I just send it for fun, send messages to family and friends. But for my wife, I'm like, I'm okay. I'm right here. And we have little codes. If, if I do it two times in a row, that means I'm spending the night out. Three times in a row means call my buddy to bring the horses because we got an animal down, that kind of thing. <laughs> That's, That's cool. That peace of mind yeah, helps in that relationship too because as we all know, maybe you don't, nope. but the relationship between my wife, the last thing I want to do when I'm out hunting is worry about her or what, or the fact that maybe she's not hundred percent on board with me making this bonsai trip you know by myself or whatever but to be able to have that even that simple line of communication I sleep better I can focus more intently on what I have there and then when I come home I don't have to deal with her concerns of I didn't know if you were okay I didn't you know you didn't call or you know so there is uh, and part of that is learning I did not do that when I was first married and I first would go hunt and there was uh, there was some conflict yeah and so you learn you learn through that and and that's like my business I've learned that I can't go hunting around my house to say okay I'm gonna go out right over here and for five days I'm too close Right. They you get a hold to of me. Commit they, and they, go farther. They, yeah. They, they, hey, I need you back at the office in an hour or two hours or whatever, you know. And then, but if I travel three or four or five hours away, right? No, it's not going to happen. Right. So that's what I have to. I have to go further away. That's otherwise, interesting. That's a great point. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, they're sucking me right back into the shop. Yeah. So well, and being self-employed <laughs> again, you know, if you're there to take that animal in, you know, that's how you make your living. But you also have to find that balance where you can go out and make it kind of all worthwhile. Right. Well, you work to do to to have your fun and have your passion. Yes. You know, that's why you work. That and to eat, but my mom you know. always said you have to be a patron of your own art. There's there not going to be some king that's going to come fund you to do the thing you want to do. And the thing that I appreciate you guys bringing up, because I work in construction and I'm now in construction management, and I worry about the safety of my guys all the time, like nonstop. It's just a hum in the back of my brain. And I worry about that with myself when I'm out and I'm alone. But having that Garmin inReach and being able to send that GPS tag to a few people and them just saying, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even have to call you, but I knew where you were. It just provides that tiny peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. How are we doing on time? I feel well, like I think he wanted to get over to Joe's seminar. It started at 2, so I think we're running a little bit yep, behind. We should probably wrap it up. I think we should wrap it up. I am so glad we had the chance to talk. Absolutely. I'm glad you made you. the phone call and called me. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. Do you have anything you want to plug? We know you got a taxidermy business. Uh, I don't know if you have any guiding spots I want to plug all the listeners to join the CBA 
Thank you. And to join Pope and Young. Yes. Awesome. We didn't discuss that, but I'm a member of both, and, and they're both of uh, passions of mine. And uh, I know we have the CBA uh, Jamboree coming up, the July the 16th, 17th, is that what it is? Something like uh, that? It's that weekend, yeah. It's the yeah. same weekend we have the Pope and Young uh, convention in Reno. So oh. now you've got a choice as where you're going to go that weekend because you've got to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, it's, and both of those organizations are truly going behind the enemy lines. Uh, and right. I, and, I, and that's strong language, but I'm going to say that because to protect the rights that we have as bow hunters and not just what we have now, but in the future for the next generation. Well, one of the, the big selling points for me for the CBA, when somebody comes to my shop, I go, look, the one thing that the CBA has done from the very beginning is we've always had somebody knowing what's going on at the commission. Absolutely. Because yeah, we've got to have somebody there. You know, we've got to have those people involved to know what's going on or they're going to step all over us. Yep. Right. And plus, I always bring out all the points of what the CBA has done since the beginning, since, right. the, since the days before Marv. You know, I mm-hmm. saw you saw me talking to Marv earlier. and You know, he was one of the instrumental ones in the early days. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, well, I'm, this has been fun. Yes, this has been, been awesome. awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, John. That's. I don't think I'm ever going to hear a better hunting story than that. That's yeah. in, in every way from skinning it back, out I've with got a bear razor. We will. Oh, hey, please open, open, uh, open invitation, invitation for mm-hmm. that. That would yeah. be so fantastic. We have lots of hunting stories, especially hunts that went wrong. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? Like you said earlier, and you kind of said it in passing, but those are our best teachers. Yep. It's where things go pear-shaped on us that we have to start getting creative and learning new techniques and that's what it's about that's what it's about awesome awesome I can't thank wait you to so fall. much john oh i <laughs> yeah. can't either yeah i can't I told either you I was you gonna get, get that moose tag I, I i applied for a unit that i think i have a really good another chance of getting another cow tag that's great and that's i've awesome. had a few cow tags i've had to give some of them back believe it or not because i was guiding goat and sheep hunters i'll yeah. give it back i'll get another one yeah i can <laughs> it's getting harder and harder <laughs> to get another yeah. cow tag it, it truly is they're all getting so harder to my to first cow tag now. that i got my wife and i went and i didn't i didn't ever draw my bow back because i thought oh not a problem there'll be cows everywhere i'll go up there and there'll be a cow and i didn't realize that <clears throat> muzzleloader was the same time mm. and i didn't go into for like the first four days i i missed it for something doing something else guiding a sheep hunt by the time we got up there you couldn't find a moose they you could find bulls there's plenty of bulls wow. we were walking up and taking pictures of bulls a cow they were gone so Isn't I didn't get crazy? one. I didn't get one. <laughs> Man, crazy. So never drew my bow back. Bulls when you want cows, cows when you want bulls. There you go. Yeah. So Good this time. guys, thanks for inviting me. Hey, thanks a lot, John. So appreciate anyway. you taking the time for it. Yep. Yep. All right, now we got to raise some money for CBA tonight. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Let's do it. <laughs> Banquet tonight. Right. Thank you. Uh, see ya. See ya.